All right, y'all, it's spring, and you know what that means. It's time to start planning our summer festival traveling. Yep, it's time to get into my Airbnb bag cross-country, a.k.a. uh, time to visit my homes all across the country. And you know what I never think about? Why not list my own spot on Airbnb and host some folks at my house? I mean, my house is cute. Yes, let's make money while we're spending money. Just trying to help you out, man, because your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Tired of not being able to get a hold of anyone when you have questions about your credit card? With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yes, you heard that right. You can talk to a human on the Discover customer service team anytime. So the next time you have a question about your credit card, call 1-800-DISCOVER to get the service you deserve. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. It's time to take your body care routine to the next level. Introducing Osea's bestseller body care set, the perfect companion for your summer travels. This four-piece kit transforms dry skin to silky, soft, and glowing. It features travel sizes of Osea's best-selling Andaria Algae Body Oil and Body Butter, clinically proven to improve skin elasticity, along with their anti-aging body balm and salts-of-the-earth body scrub. And to top it off, it's packed in a vegan leather bag, making it a must-have for all your summer adventures. Everything Osea makes is clean, vegan, cruelty-free, and climate-neutral, so you never have to choose between your values and your best skin. Treat yourself to glowing, healthy skin this summer with clean vegan skincare and body care from Osea. Right now, you can get the best seller's body care set valued at $78 for 33% off. Use code SUMMER to save an additional 10%. That's an additional 10% off at OCEAMalibu.com code SUMMER. Questlove Supreme is a production of iHeartRadio. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another episode of Questlove Supreme. I, yo, man, dog, I ain't got time to waste. Devontae, Lightyear, Sugar Steve, Raphael. You know what it is. Let's go. Let's I'm go. forgetting the. <laughs> Rapid I got fire. too many questions <laughs> to, to even start with the seven minute tribute. You already know you're the man, Raphael. Okay. I'll start with. Okay. Of course, I, I believe I knew that you were born in Oakland. I don't know. But tell me, where were you born? I was actually born in Oakland, California. Um, yeah, right in East Oakland, Highland Hospital. So I'm, no. I'm, I'm born and raised. My fa- the rest of my family is from like Louisiana, from Monroe, Louisiana, Sweetport, Louisiana. And I'm the only out of 14, I'm the only city slicker that was born in the city. Wait, you have 13 other siblings? What? Yeah. Are you the, you're the baby? A baby boy. But I have a sister that's younger than me. What is that like in the household? Well, everybody was in the household. It was uh, it was a little bit of your dad. I should a little bit. It's a little bit of that, but we were like, uh, my father has some kids before he married my mom. Before he's okay. with my mom, right? Then you know my brother Dwayne, he had a different mother. So me and Dwayne have different mothers. Okay, gotcha. Blended family, I could think. Yeah, um, there you go. Is the entire family? Musically inclined, or just you and Dwayne? No, uh, it's a few of us. Uh, my brother Randy is. Uh, you probably heard him sing on a record called "Holy Smokes and G Wiz." Yes, yes. Holy Smokes mm-hmm. and G. Yes, indeed. Yeah. That's that's the real talent in the in the family. We were all like an afterthought when it came to music. We we just kind of snuck in there a little bit. Where does Randy fall into the the brood? Like he's like the 
he's like the fourth from the oldest. He's like, I had another brother named Alvy Wiggins who's, uh, he's saying country music. Charlie Pride was his favorite, uh, uh, singer. So he, he was a country singer, but he was, he was a street thug though. He he was a real hardcore. <laughs> gang- he was not no thug. He was a classy like gangster. You know what I mean? But he was he sang country music. A gangster with the heart <laughs> of gold. <laughs> yeah. This, this explains a lot of your. Well, wait. Where does where does uh where does Dwayne fall in line with you? I'm assuming Dwayne. Dwayne is. Uh, we I had another brother in between me and Dwayne named Desmond. Desmond was a drummer in the family, and Desmond passed away. When I was uh, 17 years old, and Dwayne is the older than him, one a uh, couple years older than Desmond. Okay. So Dwayne would be, Dwayne would be like the sixth youngest boy. Okay. Man, it's confusing. Actually, when I start thinking about it like that, I'm like totally confused. Okay. <laughs> so I know Thanksgiving and Christmas must have been hella crazy. Yeah, it was actually good because you know it was just a lot of music in the house and a lot of. Teddy, you know, my stepmom loved Teddy Pendergrass and, and, and Isley Brothers. So that's where we, that's where our, our guitar stuff comes from because we get to stay outside as long as we could if, you know, if they, if they was having a little party. But in the house, it would be Teddy Pendergrass and it'd be mm. uh, Isley Brothers. So this is the first time I got a, a chance to say shit was on Fight the Power. Of <laughs> <From> the parents, <laughs> you know. <laughs> it's, it's- what what is your actual first musical memory that you? I think for for me, I was like a kid who like who had, you know, you know, you had to be outside playing with individuals and your friends. Some of my really great friends, and um, but I think mine was when I first got my first um, bass amplifier. I had this uh, Univox, and I had a, a copy wow. Fender Jazz called the um, Orlando, and I opened up the case and I thought it was real fur. Thought I was rich because I had this bass guitar, this fur was this fur in, inside of it. And that was my first musical experiment experience, really. And then I, I played trump, I played first trombone and jazz band too. So I wanted to play saxophone, but they um I wanted to play saxophone, but they didn't have any more. What age is this again? This is in this in grade school. Well, grade school I was just starting to play, but by the time I got to high school, I sat in first chair playing trombone. Oh, okay. So, I mean, what what is it like to grow up in Oakland, um, kind of watching, you know, at, at least from my point of view, you know, the legend of Oakland is, is Sly and the Family Stone and Graham Central Station and Tower of Power and all, all these, like, powerful musicians that are making, like, you know, they're international stars. Like, what kind of impression is that leaving on you? Well, for, for me, up, yeah. it was it was everything because we're basically a uh, Larry Graham was more of the idol for for me because I'm a bass player, right? But basses, yeah, right. So you know, like one block, you would have you know a band playing, and it was a band in every garage, everywhere we looked. It was like Natalie Natalie Cole had a band that was played in Oakland. So when they were off and not touring, they would be playing in the garage. So Willie Wilde, who played with Graham Central Station, and mm-hmm. we would see like. You know, Larry Graham and, um, you know, riding through the neighborhood on a Harley Davidson. Hmm. Him and Sly, that was their thing, riding like Harleys and like the choppers, the short choppers. And so they were like our uh, comic books characters for us because that's all we knew. It was like it was almost like a like MCs, like rappers. It was like battle the bands. It was battle battle rappers, battle 
battle of the bands, battle bass players. If you couldn't play like um, the jam artist, song called Pow on right. the bass. Oh, Pow, I got you. That I was got a hit you. in Oakland. That's a hit. With, with wow. going to the country and going to rock month, like the pow, co- I got gotcha. you. Gotcha. But you get your folks wrong. I mean, everybody in our neighborhood, everybody in our neighborhood could play bass or, or guitar or drums. So when I was about 10 or 11, you would walk into a garage and a band was playing. Somebody would say, hey, my little brother could play bass. So you you couldn't really get on a bass unless you knew how to play pile because somebody was going to test you out. They were going to say, take it right now, yo. they were going to say, can you play pile? And then you have to do like this, like. Yeah, and as soon as you say yes, they only give you two seconds before the drummer just kick it off. Wait a minute. I'm, wow. Yo, this is how I know you are a special individual. Literally last week, last week, the Roots like did our like our first run in, in like 18 months. And so I don't know how, but I think uh, one, of the, one of them songs from uh, Star Walk came on. Uh, I think it was Sneaky Freak. And my band was asking me about it. And the way I was putting it to them was, I was like, I don't know how to accurately judge Larry Graham's canon because I know, like, hit-wise, you know, the first three Graham Central Station albums were, like, national hits. Like, up until Ain't No Bow to Doubt It. But somehow... It got a little weird around. Not well. Mirror was like a hit. I remember that being a hit when I was a kid. But it's something about now. Do you want to dance? And my radio sounds good to me. And the Starwalk album, albums that didn't have hits on them, but every from Prince to every musician I know, they swear by those three records. And we were watching Graham Central Station do Pow last week. And we were kind of, I was, I was laughing because I was like, I know this is good, but it wasn't a hit. So I'm trying to figure out, like, am I the only one that got this song? And you mentioned, so you're saying to me, in in Oakland, that song is a rite of passage. <laughs> to everybody. I mean, I mean, you, you could walk up to a guy in Oakland and I have a friend named Lornell and I didn't know this. And, um, and um, he just, one day he asked me what I know about Larry Graham. And I'm like, looking at him like, what this dude know? This dude, he's a security guy at San Quentin Prison. That's all I know about him. He just goes, top of the smoky mama. And I'm like, what? So, <laughs> so in Oakland, in, in Oakland, Larry's bigger than, than, than Slot. I know. Wow. Wow. So, That's like, cool. Larry is like, Larry is like a... Um, when I was a kid, I went. I was going on a snow trip in Tahoe, and I went to buy some mittens. It was like ten or eleven, and I I was walking to a store called Long's Drugs. It's in San Leandro, mm-hmm. and I walk in the store. I walk in this grocery store, and and Larry Graham and Chocolate is getting out of a black Thunderbird Suicide Doors with the wig on, with the album release. How they looked and release, release yourself in the air, in the air jumping yes, up, suspended yes. there. <laughs> And I'm like, is that Larry Graham? Wow. So I start following him around the grocery store, looking through boxes and, and everything. So before he walks out, I run out and sit at the bus stop right in front of the store. But I'm not looking back at him. I'm just looking at the street. So Larry and Chocolate walk up to me in front of the bus stop and look dead at me. 
He go, how you doing? And I'm like freaking out. Like, it's like a Star Wars moment for me. Oh, I said, and I go like, and I, and, he, and I go, are you Larry Graham? He like, yeah, I'm Larry Graham. This is chocolate. And I was like freaking out, bro. So, yeah, he was like a superhero to us. But Powell, but yeah, to answer your question, Powell, The Jam, David Dynamite, Butch. What about Earthquake? Uh, Earthquake, was of course. I mean, hair, like, earthquake. Um, they were trying to destroy their their base with the the towel and all that stuff that he. <laughs> and uh, if you listen to today, the song today, right? Yeah. So we used to sit in a room as kids and just sit by the turntable and wait for that bell to go off. <sighs> Every time we let somebody hear that song, we would never let them leave for the first time until the bell rings all the way out. Yo, so man. when I let D'Angelo here today for the first time, I made D'Angelo listen to it to the bell went all the way off. Really? Because that's how we kind of grew up. Everybody had to listen to the bell the first time. Dog. It, oh, what's, what's ring for like, what, three minutes? That's what I was yes, going to exactly. ask you. I was like, so did the bell ring? For those who don't know about the song, are you saying yes, you got to listen to minutes. a bell for three minutes? Okay. Oh, man. Seven. You know what? Yeah, I'm also seven. hating that I'm having this conversation because I think I was ready to just dismiss it. Because one one of one of the one of the playlists that I have on my Spotify is called songs in in E minor and songs in E minor that I hate. And for <laughs> I know for bass players, like E minor is like a, a rite of passage key, but for me it's like unless you're trying to top the jam or Shining Star, or Thank You For Let Me Be Myself, like or or a song like Glide. Like, I almost feel like that's such a taboo key for bass players, but yet, like, the amount of songs that I hear people trying to attempt to to hop that, jump that cliff, that Thelma and Louise cliff, and they never make it. Now, now you got me, like, now I got to go back and reconsider that just because it's it means something in Oakland. That's that's very true. I mean, I mean, I can't. I've never. I don't think I've ever wrote a song that was worth anything in E minor. <laughs> I, was gonna, I mean, I was gonna I, say I, for Cat from Oakland, I don't think you. Do, is that even on purpose? Like, I just don't think. I just don't, every time I don't. I heard. I mean, I heard through the grapevine that you know, um, through one of my friends. Um, uh, she does that. She does that. Uh, she has a podcast with with, with most deaf's mom. Um, Mm. And um, Erica Connor and, and she talked to you. Spoke to your mom, I think. Yes. And they said you had perfect. Your mom said you had perfect pitch as a kid. Yeah, yeah. So I only have perfect pitch for E natural because of Larry Graham. Wow. I, only I for E. Joint. Anything past that, I'm done. You tell me because I played every every Graham song in E. I could just down down you know, down down, right, down, right. down down. I know where it's at. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I, I base all my things on whatever the song is, you know. Like, mm-hmm. if you say B minor, I I just instantly think "Don't Stop to Get Enough." If you say that's G, it's, it's also based on the Prince of the Michael Jackson song. If you say G, I'm like, oh, that's shake your body down to the ground. So it's not, you I know. Get it. And even as I a DJ, talk, I, I spoke to Billy Graham one time. I was uh, hanging outside at Oakland Coliseum. I wait, think which it was at Billy a new Graham? edition concert. I thought you meant Reverend Billy Graham. I'm like, what? No, no, Bill Graham, the, the uh, concert oh, the promoter. promoter, the promoter, okay. the promoter, yeah. the promoter. Mm-hmm. He saw me trying to sneak in this concert. He let me in the concert, and he said, um, 
are you a musician? I said, yes. And he says, what do you, what do you play? I said, I play bass. Who's your favorite musician? I said, Larry Graham. He said, Larry would be much better if he stopped making battle records. And so, Yo. and by him saying that, <laughs> who knew I was going to be ever making records. I didn't know. I never tried to be a singer or anything. I just wanted to play in a band. I never wanted to be a singer. I never wanted to be a lead singer. I just wanted to play for a band and work at a record store. That was probably it. And um, But once he said that and I started making music, it always stayed in my head. Never try to be a battle band, try to make records. That makes sense. Because even his songs were about how good of a band we are, and you'll never get to this level of perfection that I'm in. ETS, the baddest group from east to east west. To- <laughs> Yo, what oh, was, Raphael, what was it like the first time you got Larry Graham's ear for real? Like when he so when I first yeah. got his ear, I was at I was I was at Eddie Murphy's house and he was hanging out with Eddie Murphy and I'm like wow so he was just in in, he was in his the base garage player. right yeah he was hanging out in this garage it was just me and him in the garage and I was like okay when am I gonna break this to this dude that I've been like damn near <laughs> like him. stalking stalking him, him my whole <laughs> right. life and I'm like because we we talking on some we just real cool and I was just like forget it here we go we're sitting in the garage next to some jet skis I said hey man. I grew up in Oakland. I was in a band with your son, Derek Graham, and um, in my high school band. He was like, "Really?" I said, "Yeah, man. I play bass." So I didn't have a bass on me. I had an acoustic. Right. So I tried to play something on acoustic that was his, and it it just didn't work. Wait a minute, and, um, time out. You Tony, Tony, Tony didn't mean anything to him at that time. He, I think he knew about the Tonys, but he didn't know that Wait. I played bass. Okay, right. I get it. Remember, okay. nobody thought nobody, I played bass. Yeah. Everybody he thought I was like, you know. The singer. The dancer, right. yeah. <laughs> you know, nobody knew that. I, I was only made to play bass because when we first came out, there were no bands out, and, and everybody wanted us to be like, you know, we had to compete with Guy, and everybody was out, so I had to put the bass down, and I had to become this other thing. So nobody really knew me for playing bass, which I felt like uh, Linus and Charlie Brown, like I put down my security blanket Right, wow. which was which which was my base that made me feel very manly and tough, and made me feel all these different things. So when I put it down and became and had to sing, I wasn't really confident about singing. So he he would have no way of knowing that I was a bass player, even though I played on I played all the records on the bass, mm-hmm. on bass on the Tony's album. Wow! And so you, wow. you didn't get to I prove yourself. I finally got Graham in my studio. Okay, in Blakesley, and he came over, and I got on the bass, and I completely. Cannot play bass in front of Graham. Wow. <laughs> it, it, just, it, it hasn't worked yet. Every time I tried to play, I was like, bro, it, for some reason, it's just not working right now. So I just left it alone. <laughs> <laughs> but when he leaves, I'm like, oh, he's killing it. Yeah. Killing it. You got mind control over Larry Graham. Yeah, when I can kill him. I stopped talking. But when he leaves, yeah, we, we he, played played he, played, he played on my album like two albums ago. We did a song together. Yeah, um, it's a hidden track, and I play guitar, and Rob Bacon play guitar, and he played bass, and he played right in front of me, and I was just sitting there, I was playing guitar like, this is crazy, and still you ain't playing bass in front of him. Damn. Wow. Nah, That's I think crazy, I sat man. in front of Sly and um, uh, Sly and and and, and George Clinton mm-hmm. maybe two times, and this is weird. Every time I get around Sly, it's weird too. I. I, I kind of just stare Sly, and I have mm-hmm. to leave because I'm like, this dude is like Overwhelmed. Sly, right? Oh, I'm so right. comfortable. I, I just kind of yes. 
walked out and, and George says, uh, George told Sly, he said, uh, he said, yeah, boy, he said, that's the answer to you right here in Oakland. It's me. You said that's about me. And I was sitting there looking at him because I'm friends with his daughter. And I was like, all this greatness in the room, George and, and, and Sly, they was actually sitting in the mobile home in front of Eddie Murphy's house for two hours. And so Ed, Eddie goes, who is that in that, in that mobile home? And I, I goes, there ain't nobody but uh, uh, Sly, uh, Sly and George. And Eddie started laughing. But I knew it was them. They just sat in the, in the, in the, in the mobile home for two hours before they walked in. <laughs> what, was, what was they doing? <laughs> who knows? You know what they was doing. Wait, 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 wait. Time, out. Time out. What year was this? This was. This is no longer than this. Is maybe four or five years ago. Oh, okay, maybe they less. were chilling. They were chilling. Okay, it's yeah, it's yeah. Was George was chilling. kind of getting his joint together. Yeah, yeah, he together. Yeah. All right, y'all. You know what season it is? Tis the season for spring breaking and planning our summer travel. And if you're like me, you're already in your Airbnb app, trying to find which spot is right for you. Now, listen. While I'm looking to spend all this money. What I'm not doing is thinking about making money with Airbnb. See, you got to change your mind state. Make the money while you're spending the money. How, you say, Laia, do I make the money? Well, you host at your house. And I know what you're thinking. I mean, my whole house? Uh, Well, no, you don't have to do your whole house. I mean, you could do a room or, you know, do the whole house. So make some money while you're spending some money this summer. I'm trying to tell you, your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. My name is Johnny B. Good, and I'm the host of the new podcast, Creating a Con, the story of Bitcoin. Over this nine-part series, I'll explore the life and crimes of my best friend, Ray Trapani. I always wanted to be a criminal. If someone's like, oh, what's your best way of making money? I'm like, oh, we should start some sort of scheme. You see, Ray has this unique ability to find loopholes and exploit them. They collected $30 million. There were headlines about it. His company, Centratech, was one of the hottest crypto startups in 2017. It was going to change the world, until it didn't. I came into my office, opened my email, and the subject heading was FBI request. It was only a matter of time before the truth came out. You can only fake it till you make it for so long before they find out that your Harvard degree is not so crimson. How could you sit there and do something that you know will objectively cause more harm in the world? Listen to Creating a Con, the story of Bitcoin, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Imagine you ask two people the same exact set of seven questions. I'm Minnie Driver. And this was the idea I set out to explore in my podcast, Mini Questions. This year, we bring a whole new group of guests to answer the same seven questions, including actress and star of the mega hit sitcom Friends, Courtney Cox. You can't go around it, so you just go through it. This is a roadblock. It's going to catch you down the road. Go through it. Deal with it. Comedian, writer, and star of the series Catastrophe, Rob Delaney. I shouldn't feel guilty about my son's death. He died of a brain tumor. It's part of what happens when your kid dies. Intellectually, you'll understand that it's not your fault, but you'll still feel guilty. Alt-rock icon, Liz Fair. That personal disaster wrote Guyville. So everything comes out of a dead end. And many, many more. Join me on season three of Mini Questions on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, 
or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Seven questions, limitless answers. Ah, man, I can stay on this for hours. We got to push a little bit. Yeah, Um, yeah, yeah. Before you started the group, I know that you you, you cut your teeth uh, playing with bands. And I know that why I I knew of you because of your association with Sheila. But what acts were you playing with? Was Sheila like the first national act that you got to and how that situation happened? Was there anyone before that? No, really, before that, I was I was playing locally. Um, I really started the Tonys. I played a lot of local bands, and um, I played I played for the Hawkins family a bit. You know, Dog, I used to play with Joel like? Smith. Like yeah. yeah. Jo- Joel Smith was sort of my, um, my idol bass player. He passed away. One of the best bass players in the world. And drummers, and um, besides you, you, you're probably my one of my best favorite bass and drummers. I tell everybody, I say one thing about Quest: no bass player can hate on Quest. If you play bass, you, you should just murder him because the foot, the kick drum, and the snare, and the hi hat is is like what I used to look for as a kid. I would knock on if I hear a drummer in a house, I would knock on the door and say, "Hey, man, I play bass." That's how I grew up. So wow. yeah, I started playing with the Hawkins family. I played with Annette Hawkins. I played with Shirley Miller. I played Thank with Vanessa Bill Armstrong. And then I started playing with Sheila in 86. I auditioned. Levi Caesar uh, um, yeah. got me the gig. He called me and said, you know, you want to audition for Sheila E in 86? I auditioned and we went on an Under Cherry Moon tour in Japan. Mm-hmm. And Wendy and Lisa was you still playing with Prince. You destroyed his guitar? Where? In Japan. Well, the way that he fired the revolution after Purple Rain. It finally made the internet. It's it's the the clip is on the internet, but there's a moment where Wendy and Lisa say they knew the, they knew the band was over. He he uh, took the cloud guitar and and destroyed it on stage. Walked off stage, came back, did another solo, and then destroyed that cloud guitar. And then Wendy and Lisa and Bobby looked at each other and was like, "Yeah, it's over." Yeah, it's rap city. It was over. So yeah, you were it, there that it was whole pretty. Time? It was pretty much over on that tour. But you know, like I said, I was like 18 years old. Right. So I just had a good time of hanging out with like uh, Cubby was a sound guy. Yeah. Um, Mark. I, I used to get play out of his rig, and and because the band was breaking up, Prince would use us to play all the after gigs. So I would play uh, like okay. "You Need Another Lover," the whole album. Wow. Um, every club, Prince would call us to play instead of them. Is that why one right. of our listeners asked me to ask you about the opportunity to be in Prince's band? Was it from then? Did well, I was I was going to be the original band for Madhouse, the group called Madhouse. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, his jazz joint. Okay, right. Really? He wants to be in the, in the being a uh, band called Madhouse. But when we heard the band was going to be wearing like mask over their face, which would could have been dope, it, we had already sort of formed because uh, at the time it was me and Tim, Tim up Tim Riley who played with the Tonys. He was the drummer. Right. And um, I got the gig first, and then Sheila was like, don't bring back a drummer. I brought Tim back anyway. He auditioned, and um, and uh, my friend Carl Wheeler, he played keyboards, and all three of us went. We rehearsed for like two months, 15 hours a day. Prince hired us to play for it because he was paying the bills, basically. Mm-hmm. And um, I would sing his parts in Erotic City. He would say stuff to me. The first time he walked up to us, he he walked up to us with a yellow suit on, and a cane. And he walks up and he goes, um, what's your name? And, you know, everybody said his name. And then he goes, hi, I'm Prince. We're looking like, 
No shit. I mean, we, <laughs> I'm like, we're in the middle of this. We're in the middle of this stadium. Like all this sound. I've never heard this much power before. Because when we came out, it was like when he came out, he would come out uh, around the world in a day, and um, mm-hmm. the curtains would that just would be his drop. opening song. That was his opening song for that for the set. Yeah, and, and so Behind I was sitting. The I was sitting in a baseball dugout, which is a folded, like makes a folded uh, cabinet of it, so you could hear all the the bass. And I'll just say the Revolution was the best band he he ever had. Except you know, I wish you you know if Des Dickinson, was, you know, Des would have been there. Yeah. Not. Wow. That man. was it. That was pretty much it. From school, high school, I played in jazz band. I played for choirs. I played gospel. I played funk. I played every club there was. And then it was, then right off the back, it was Prince and Sheila. Okay. Well, look, I feel he like ready. this is probably the only time I'm going to get the opportunity to ask you. And you know, I'm a Prince head, but you already mentioned the Hawkins family. And I just literally, like, I. What is what is that circuit like? Like that whole gospel, gospel yeah. circuit in 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 the Hawkins? Was it Walter or or Edwin that you were? It was Walter. At this at this time, it was more Walter. But Edwin is the pioneer who you know kind of produced that the new right. version of Oh Happy Days because that's really an old song, but he actually reproduced it his way. But um, honestly, playing for, playing for like the Hawkins family for us was was. That's equivalent to like Tower Power in Oakland. You know, we had Tower right. Power, and then we had the Hawkins family, and um, they were the whole circuit. They were the whole gamut. If you wanted to play gospel, that was the biggest it got. Besides, you know, if you go down a little south, you got Andre Crouch. Did you play with Crouch at all? No, no. Just in my, I'm I'm a huge fan, and I I listen to him like every every week. I listen to Andre Crouch. <sighs> wow. But it's it's a big circuit. It was a it was great music every Sunday morning, every week. Uh, right next door to my high school was Love Center's first uh, church where they recorded like "Follow Me" and all these records. So right, we would go to we would go to lunch and we would listen to Joel Smith and um, Johnson DeBose rehearse at lunchtime. What? Yeah. How was the money? Crazy. This is crazy. How's gospel money? Wow. How's gospel money as a teenager in a band? How's the gospel money? Man, let me tell you something. I've never worried about no money in the music industry till now. Wait, what now? I don't Say understand what? what you're saying. Wow. I don't understand. That's how much I love music. I've made money being an artist now, but I play so many gigs because I love music. You know, whatever money I got. In Oakland, hey man, if you wasn't getting murdered or killed, when you wake up, everything winning. else is extra. <laughs> Right. <laughs> I mean, if somebody was calling me you, for a hundred dollars. We used to, we had our sound man used to cost the Tonys. Our sound man used to cost us one hundred and fifty dollars, and we was making one hundred and fifty dollars playing the clubs. We just had we it just got rid of the idle time that we didn't need to be mm-hmm. hanging out in the street because we were we pretty much just not no band dudes. If you in Oakland, you got to do Oakland things. To when to you know until you get done with doing Oakland things. Let me mm. ask. Okay, since Too Short was on the show and he kind of outed himself as a nerd disguised as a gangster. Paraphrase. <laughs> well, uh, <laughs> what? What was? I mean, how did how did you? Because I'm I'm thinking that that life chooses you. Like you don't have a choice to say I'm not going to do that or I will do that because. I feel like that life chooses you. Like you don't have a choice but to walk past this corner and past this group, and you either get 
jumped in or beat down or whatever. Like, how did you avoid what I know to be Oakland? Because Oakland is probably one of the craziest. I mean, the Bay Area in general, I've especially when we first started going there, like in the 90s. So I know that in the 80s and in the 70s, I mean, you're you're forever going to look 36. So <laughs> I don't know how old you are, but I know it's way older than 36, although you look 26. Like, old as hell. What was it? To- <laughs> <No>. <laughs> you look good as hell, too, so it don't matter. I avoided because, you know, like, I have a lot of families from Chicago, a lot of family in Chicago and the South Side and the West Side. And, and you know, your, your parents are on the phone. You're hearing about everything that's happening to your family. And also with all those brothers and sisters, I lost three brothers and sisters. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of my brothers committed suicide. One of my brothers, Alvy, got, was murdered. And uh, my other sister got hit by a car from some cop running from a kid, uh, mm-hmm. a kid, a kid running from a cop in his car who killed my sister, had permanent brain damage. And when you see trauma Shit. like that, you know, and you, my my father would say to me all the time, he was like, if you see somebody, um, well, my brother killed himself because he couldn't get off dope. So my father would say, right. if you see somebody shooting a gun in rapid rapid fire, what you going to do? At this point, I was so young, I didn't even know what rapid meant. Mm-hmm. And I said, I'm going to turn around and go the other way. He's, That's what I'm talking about. He was just so frustrated. And he also said, if, you know, when you go to jail... It's a very difficult thing down there. It's a system that's hard to understand. And, you know, so when it, I do know one thing, they give you one phone call. So I, if you go to jail, I think you should call somebody to understand that system because I don't know anything about it. And that's what kept me. Mm. <laughs> I was just about to ask him. What I'm not coming doing. for you. <laughs> I'm not coming for you. And my father was the only one that carried a, a pocket full of money, a wad full of money. So with that and, and, and how much I love music, I will I say that, you know, instrumentation musicians like Earth, Wind & Fire and, you know, even like the Mamas and the Papas, all the music I used to hear in Berkeley and San Francisco and the hippie stuff that I used to hear and all the gospel, it really saved my life. So when I, when I run into people like, rest in peace, like Maurice White and I see Verdine and those guys, I just tell them you basically saved my life by making great music because it kept me in my room making music. Making music. But on the other side, I felt like my life was like the, the narration of the movie City of Gods. Whoa. Like I was yeah, the kid with the, I was like the kid with the camera. Yeah, like, oh, I had a moped and I would ride around Oakland. I would witness murders because I was everywhere. I would see stuff. But I would keep going, and I would be listening to in my headphones and my Sony Walkman with a cassette. I'll be listening to Ronnie Run to Russia. Ronnie Run to Russia before it's too right, late. Right. You know, but that nobody knew what I'd be listening to, and um, so between the hood of everybody listening to Knee Deep and Funkadelic and everything. My neighborhood was listening. My neighborhood was big on Funkadelic. Right. So I, I think the music sort of, like you said, Say the street is the street. The streets could be your father and your mother. But my father was my father. My mother was my mother. And music was like my godparents. Can I ask the word? Because um, I know most parents I know will sort of uh, drift towards safety more than pursuing a dream. So assuming that, you know, you're that you were passionate about your 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 musical pursuits, were your parents in like encouraging and nurturing on that end? Or were they just like, nah boy, like go to the post office, get a job? Oh no, computers? none of that. Like my mother was like, get you fifty years in over here at the Highland Hospital, and when you my age, you can retire. 
Uh, <laughs> my father was a little bit. Um, my father could play guitar a little bit. He could sing. My dad kind of sing like Sam Cooke. But my dad was just like I used to work in United Parcel for for a minute. I had all kind of like I had jobs. I was doing landscaping. It wasn't another like you couldn't be at my house and, be, and tell somebody you're gonna be a star and leave me alone. That shit was not gonna fly. So uh, I think my father told me I, when I told him I got this gig, he just told me he said, "Hey, if you want to, if you because everybody was saying you know church people, you're going to hell because you're playing R and B." My dad mm-hmm. would say, "Son." The church key of G is the same key as R and B. The same key of G. If you don't, if you want it, if that scares you, I got some work for you at the at the Naval Air. You know, you can come and work here. But other than that, I just I think I got a job playing this gig at this club called Lucky Lion with this band, and I told my father because I bust my fingers at UPS. I bust three of my fingers on the conveyor belt, and my nails came right off. Oh. So I quit because I didn't want to, you know, mm-hmm. they have these safety working days. And if you ring the bell, you mess up the whole staff's safety working days. I tried mm-hmm. to hold it for a minute, but when the nails came out, blah, hit the alarm, called my dad and said, I got this gig. I want to do this gig. Club. And my dad said, well, don't tell your mom. Do not tell your mother. If you need some money, call me. And um, I never had to call him because I had those little $150 gigs, but... My mother didn't find out that I quit that job until she saw me on the Tonys on Arsenio Hall. Wow. No. <laughs> I am not alone in And what did this she say? World. Nice. She didn't, my mother didn't know I could sing. Oh, yeah. You know, she, she, know, she knew she saw me kind of sing run off. I mean, but it, that's not nobody knew I could sing. Nobody in my high school. Because I was singing at home, you know, mess around, but my mother didn't realize that I wasn't working at U- UPS until she turned to Arsenio and they was like, Tony, Tony, Tony. And I was all, you know, going for it. <laughs> dog, <laughs> dog. I, yo, man, you don't even know. Between, <laughs> between your love of pal and that story, no one believes me when I tell my dad, when I say that my dad didn't know about The Roots until our, our second album. And they're like, yeah, How's that basically, happen? yeah. Yeah. Nah, you hide that shit, yo. Wow. Yeah. wow. You hide that. You can't, it's, it's none of that come home to I got a dream. A what? Uh, wow. Better get yeah. a, a job. Dream. A what? A dream. A what? Yeah, he a wanted, dream. He wanted oh, my ass in college, and he wasn't having that, like, just hang with that Tariq? No. You go to college, boy. Saw that insurance. That Tariq. That Tariq. That hoodlum, that hoodlum Tariq. I believe he said it. I believe. That hoodlum Tariq. Hey, Ray, um, Around 85, 86, I, I know that, um, you know, Foster and McElroy produced the first Tony record, but what was, what was like, the, the, the relationship? Did you guys have any run-ins with, like, J. King, the Club Nouveau, Click? Club like, Nouveau, yeah. The- yeah we, well, I lived in Sacramento for, after I moved out of Oakland. I came back off the tour, my first tour after 88. My mom had moved to Sacramento. I came to my house and it said, we moved to Sacramento. And not a house I bought. My mom bought her own house. Everybody think I bought my mother's house. It was in Jet Magazine. They're like, oh, he bought his mom's house. My mom, he ain't buying no damn thing. So wait, um, that night when you first saw the roots in Sacramento, you were still living in your mom's house? No, no. I had bought a house in Sacramento. Oh, whew. okay. I, follow, I followed her. I, I, I lived there the first couple of years i wasn't buying nothing bro i had a toyota tradia oh yeah that i bought from my sister 
I wasn't buying nothing, bro. I was very frugal. I wasn't. I, I didn't believe the hype either. They scared me so much about being an artist. Mm-hmm. I never really bought into the whole artist thing. Really, I I I kept a I kept a very low pro. But um, I wrote just me and you in my mother's my, in my room in my mother's house on an MP and a T three Accord MP. <laughs> I wasn't. I wrote that in my room. Wow. Yeah. So yeah, I was. I do. So I did run into J King a lot. Um. Club Nouveau because he actually spun off Denny and Tommy. And right. Denny and Tommy went on to get a production deal with Ed Eckstein over at um, Wing Mercury. Records, which he oh, became Wing, the pre- yeah. president of Polygram. And the son after that, of Billy Eckstein, right? Son yeah. of Billy Eckstein. Ed Eckstein was Ed Eckstein was R. Clive Davis. Mm-hmm. No, he was. And after that, we never had one since. I've been pretty much on my own. I never had to go to it. I had no connect after that. After that, I was just connecting with artists and just kind of. I'm um, doing myself, but Denny and Tommy was definitely the ones who who spun us into making songs because we had just left Prince, and I don't know what what happened to us right after that. I don't think we had any. Uh, we we didn't have any producer skills or any like. Oh, uh, so like the structure so- of it, we knew structure, song structure, but we uh. wasn't studying it. We would have came out trying to be probably Maserati or somebody if it wasn't for those two. Guys. <laughs> <laughs> All right, y'all, you know what season it is. Tis the season for spring breaking and planning our summer travel. And if you're like me, you're already in your Airbnb app trying to find which spot is right for you. Now, listen, while I'm looking to spend all this money, what I'm not doing is thinking about making money with Airbnb. See, you got to change your mind state. Make the money while you're spending the money. How, you say, Laia, do I make the money? Well, you host at your house. And I know what you're thinking. I mean, my whole house? Uh, Well, no, you don't have to do your whole house. I mean, you could do a room or, you know, do the whole house. So make some money while you're spending some money this summer. I'm trying to tell you, your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at Airbnb.com slash host. My name is Johnny B. Good, and I'm the host of the new podcast, Creating a Con, the story of Bitcoin. Over this nine-part series, I'll explore the life and crimes of my best friend, Ray Trapani. I always wanted to be a criminal. If someone's like, oh, what's your best way of making money? I'm like, oh, we should start some sort of scheme. You see, Ray has this unique ability to find loopholes and exploit them. They collected $30 million. There were headlines about it. His company, Centratech, was one of the hottest crypto startups in 2017. It was going to change the world, until it didn't came into my office, opened my email, and the subject heading was FBI request. It was only a matter of time before the truth came out. You can only fake it till you make it for so long before they find out that your Harvard degree is not so crimson. How could you sit there and do something that you know will objectively cause more harm in the world? Listen to Creating a Con, the story of Bitcoin, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hello, from Wonder Media Network, I'm Jenny Kaplan, host of Womanica, a daily podcast that introduces you to the fascinating lives of women history has forgotten. This month, we're bringing you the stories of disappearing acts. There's the 17th century fraudster who convinced men she was a German princess the 1950s folk singer who literally drove off into the sunset and was never heard from again. 
the First Nations activist whose kidnapping and murder ignited decades of discourse about Indigenous women's disappearances. And the young daughter of a Russian czar whose legendary escape led to even more intrigue and speculation. These stories make us consider what it means to disappear and why a woman might even want to make herself scarce. Listen to Amanica on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. One, if Prince is offering you an opportunity to do something, and your mind is like, yo, we about to make it. Like, not how much courage did it take, but obviously you gave them a no. And at one point, like, was Paisley Park even trying to sign you guys? It never got it never got that far. I was just like Sheila was gonna fire us pretty soon because she was going on to play on the Signs of the Times tour. Mm-hmm. So like Prince would get on the bus, and he would play, he would play Signs of the Times, the whole album, or he would he would see me in the club and he would like he was like, Come over here, I wanna play you something. And then we'll walk to the speaker, he would look at the DJ and he'd be like, Hold on. He like put your head in the speaker. So both of us would put our head inside of a folded cabinet in like this. And then he'll point to the DJ and then he'd play Housequake. Oh. And at that point, I knew Sheila was on her way and we was on our way home. And then they put like <laughs> they put like uh her road manager, Roy, uh I forgot his name at the time. They put McDonald applications in our in our bunks on the tour. No. <laughs> so wait then. So wrap yes, circle back again. Wait, what? So so wait, circle back again. You t- and Tony, Tony, Tony. What was your circle back with Prince and Sheila? Wait a minute, y'all didn't appreciate that joke. I did, I did, I did, I did. I, did. Nah, that's I should let up, it sit. I should let it sit for a second. I'm sorry, I didn't know. I I, I get in when I can fit in. Take, take the moment. Oh my god. We woke up with Mickey D applications in our bunk. <laughs> Yeah, because that was it. And we were going home because he was playing all these hits, you know, Star, Starfish and Coffee. He was like, damn. So he took Levi Caesar, he took Sheila, and he took Bonnie Boy. Bonnie. Yeah, we were all in the band together with Sheila. Dude, can you talk about, I know nothing about, like, Bonnie came from Oakland, correct? Bonnie was from Oakland. She was funky. I mean, she would pick up my bass and show me some funk licks that I didn't know in E. She could play bass? Yeah, so... Her boyfriend growing up was in this band called Windstorm, right? Okay. Her boyfriend in back in the day was Rusty Allen. Rusty Allen? She dated Rusty Allen, uh, Larry's replacement in Slime the Family Stone? So she knew all that bass stuff from him. So she used to show me licks that I knew. One day we sitting down, I'll show you what she showed me. She took my bass in the, in the back of the bus and just took my bass like, give me that. And just started like... And I was like, damn. Like, no. so, um, yeah, Bonnie was, uh, she was a, a Oakland, one of Oakland's greatest. She um, she was a vocal coach. She was a, a keyboard player with Sheila. She doubled Sheila vocals on the tour. Uh, right. If you listen to Kissing You, did I, did I produce for Puffy's group Toto? Yeah. Um, that, that, the backgrounds, that's her. That's Bonnie Boyer? That's Bonnie Boyer. Wow. Did not that know that. That's awesome. That's dope. And so she was, she was, uh, she was, she was all that man. So that experience, uh, Hey, one, one more quick question. Uh, I know also know, I know that, um, around 85, wait, was, was Rosie from Oakland or was she from LA? Rosie's, I don't, I don't know exactly where she's from, but she lived in Oakland. She, most of her life. She was like in Oakland. Cause I know she was in that circle as well and didn't come until 
the after. second draft with MBG, but I wanted to know if she made her rounds in the local. Oh, she was like, she had like local gigs and everybody played with her. She had a, I mean, Prince pretty much adopted everybody out of Oakland from Miko Weaver to Sheila's first band. Miko's from Oakland too? Yeah, bro. Everybody. Eddie not... M. Man. Oh, that makes sense. Everybody Prince used after the revolution was all Oakland based. Mostly. Mm. Like the, the, the next two bands, I would say. Ah, uh, okay. That makes that makes total sense. Okay, so circle back now. After the McDonald's uh, applications are on your bed, but you're grown, you're Raphael Sadiq, Tony, Tony, Tony. What's the first run-in with Prince and Sheila E. like now that you have proven yourself to the world? That you own. Yeah. Well, I think uh, the first one was when I wrote this song on my first album called Born Not to Know, and I, I wrote this line said, for no reason, it's only because I'm a lazy songwriter, and I just wrote this lyric that said, uh, things are getting crazy, I'm not wearing Paisley because I was born not to know. So mm. Prince must have heard that invited me into a show in Hampton, Virginia on the Love Sexy Tour, and he asked me if I wanted to come on stage. And I'm like, yeah, sure. So I come on stage, and he said, you want to come up and play basketball? So we just shooting basketball on the court. We shooting around, and then he goes, then he gets the mic, and he goes, uh, Here's a little boy who made the Paisley rhyme. And I'm like, damn, he heard that. And so... <laughs> Wait, and so he, Fonte looks a little confused little right boy. now. Wait, no, no, little no. boy. That's where I was, Fonte. Little Fonte, boy. Yeah, that, yeah. He, just to put it in perspective. I was a little boy now, but to him, here's a little boy who made the Paisley rhyme. And I'm like... Wow. So he gives me the microphone. He leaves me on the stage. Now, this is Pat. And I'm like, well, I've got a couple of band members up there. I'm like, I don't know what to do. Like... You know, so I start singing Hey Little Walter and the crowd and Sheila's on drums, Bonnie and everybody. And at this time, Prince had, from what I heard, Prince never really invited people on the stage for that. Right. No Lenny, nobody. And he invited me on the stage. And so everybody in the band that knew me, they was all crying. I'm like, why are they crying? Because they were saying because he was being so nice to me. But he always been really, really, really nice to me. He always like invited me out to dinner in Japan. You want to go? You want to get something to eat? You want to go do this? You need some girls? You need some models? He was always like that to me. Um, it, it was weird because another thing about Prince is when um when when I was gonna be in Madhouse, he told me he told Levi to tell me to go listen to the Chamber Brothers. Right. I never heard of the Chamber Brothers. So when I got back home off the tour after I decided not to go back with Prince. Like the Prince thing never came to fruition like people thought. Right. But I remember him saying I should listen to the Chamber Brothers. So I went to this place called Leopold's in Berkeley and I bought every Chamber Brothers album there was. And when I listened to it, they had a song called The Spiritual, Negro Spiritual called Wade in the Water. Okay. And they, it was so dark how they did it. And my first single ever with the Tonys was Hey Little Walter. Yeah. Walter, you yeah. messed us up with that. So with the Prince folks who didn't was know kind gospel. of. <laughs> Right. So Prince was like uh, kind of responsible for giving me a little light on that, which became the Tony's first ever ever single hit mm -hmm. song. Right. And Sinbad's first video appearance. That's true. Right. Wait, I just wanted to put it in perspective because Fonte looked a little confused. Yeah, the, the way that the Love Sexy <laughs> tour was set up was Prince also had a basketball court on the stage. On stage, it was it was the show was in the round. I mean, like his last yeah. rounds of shows were. So it was like an elaborate. It was probably his most expensive setup. So yeah. that's true. Yeah, that's that, right. Uh, wait. That's speaking so of which, speaking of who, 
the 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 song uh two six to one point five <laughs> especially the pre internet whose idea was that was it mine was that your brother all right first of all can you explain because I feel like the songs that your brother produces sounds the way that you guys work like is is there an alpha for the, the person that brings the song to to the forefront or does he just work on a song by himself and you work on a song by yourself and you just figure like okay well here's our tony album or how does that work in the in the later albums it was really exactly what you said in the other one maybe the the second album the, around the rev- the first album was mainly you know Denny and Tommy and, and us but right. the first single like little walter was just me uh, Denny and Tommy, those guys. We we got our first song, our deal. They they didn't even show up to the studio studio at all. And so um, for the first song or so, but Dwayne Dwayne will come up with songs at home. And he will uh, he'll come and then we'll get together and figure them out. But he'll come up with a title like two six one point five. That's actually a penal code for messing with <laughs> for underage rape. Yeah, like, statutory rape. What? You knew that. Like, that's crazy. That's that's crazy. Yeah, yeah. You're the only one out of everybody we know who knows that. I had to ask because that's such how a. Know we were seeing. How would he know that? Am I, should I ask that? I, I didn't mean to. I'm, how no, would one I don't even think, know I, that? I think, <laughs> yes. I think he was at the time he had dated a younger lady. He was his friend, and um, I think her auntie was an attorney. Ah, so okay. she was, but she was pretty much a fast ass one of the fast ass little girls. Who was like, you know, smart, though, really smart, and was just like, you know, this is like a 261.5. And so Dwayne was like, oh, that's a song. Right. And so he wrote a song Man. about it, and we sort of took it from that. People, let me tell you about my best friend. He's a wonderful person who love. And I always, I always loved that show as a kid. So I added that part right. to the vamp of the song. And um, yeah, I just, yeah, that's Dwayne, answer your question. Yeah, I was going to say, in an interview, you guys once described yourself. You said that you were 70% yourselves, 20% the time, and then 10% the monkeys. Which wow. That, that was, that was I, Dwayne. I, I had nothing to do with any of that. <laughs> the monkeys? No, but the thing, the thing is, though, I mean, I understood the monkeys reference. Okay. I, mind you, he said it on Soul Train, so, like, that would have thrown everyone off, but... I I got it that you guys like humor. The time the time definitely showed that humor goes Man, we a was, long way. We was none of that. If I yeah, could just clear, you, if if I could just say who we were, yeah. okay. I I would say we were we were like everything that the Oakland what Oakland gave us, and we were a bit of trying to be like an Earth Wind and Fire and the Commodores. And like my brother used to sing like this song called Hello Sunshine. Hello, Sunshine. Mm-hmm. Right. Dwayne was that Dwayne was more like the Peebo Bryson who played okay. guitar. We were a little bit of we were a little bit of the Isley brothers, a little bit of Earth Wind and Fire and the Commodores, and we we were like a, a funk band. We were more like a brick. Okay. I think that's who we were. I think Dwayne Dwayne would say things that he thought sounded great on TV. I don't I mean <laughs> I mean Well see, I felt for a sound sinker. Because you guys had, you guys were funny. You guys showed humor in 
like the pop culture references and all that stuff that Tony's I in the wrong got. key, shit like that. Tony's in the wrong key, yeah. 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 I mean, but for me, I was always trying to be honestly, for me, I was only trying to I was more of a hip hop, a East Coast hip hop head. Right. So right. I was always trying to find out how why was those drums so dirty in hip hop and our drums were so clean. So my whole quest was to find out how to 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 get dirty drums on my music, and how I found out was I was I sang out with Ice Cube on our first tour, and because uh, we toured NWA, right? Because there were no other that bands. Like it was it was it was crazy because there were no other bands, and I think they needed us on the tour because it was for it insurance reasons. Yeah, to make it legit. <laughs> It wasn't, NWA you know, we had to get out, and it was for insurance reasons. I, nobody told me that. I had to figure that out. But anyway, I was hanging out with Ice Cube, and he told me that the reason why drums sound like that is these. It's called break beats, and you could get up, you could get these records from like Forty Five Kings from the swap meet. So I went <laughs> to the swap meet, and I bought every break beat, and that's when I started hearing the meters, and that's the music I really loved. Right, and then hip hop was. Like tribe and everybody was sampling Sly and the songs that I like, and I was like, "That's what I'm gonna get into." Was more of that, and then I tried to marry the both. So, what was I the see. project that came after that? After you had that conversation with Ice Cube, and you went out and bought all that stuff. What was the Tony Tony project? It was good. Revival. It was good. Oh, okay. So, no, Rob, revival. It was, so, it was revival. I was gonna say, what lessons did you learn? Assuming that you guys took the lead on it, what lessons did you learn on revival? Um, that you didn't know on the Who record, and how did you break to Denny and Tommy? Because I mean, the Who record was a hit. I mean, you guys had three hits on it. So, what's the like? Are you talking to Ed Eckstein saying like, "Look, I think we could do this on our own. Let us." I think we just said that we wanted to do it on our own. I don't know if we knew what the hell we were doing at all. We were definitely, you know, you know. I give kudos to Ed because. He, he let us actually do it, but right. we've we've never had an A&R person nowhere near our rooms ever. Okay, we wow. we just we just spent too much money figuring it out on that second album. I think we rented a Sinclair for like two hundred fifty thousand dollars for the whole time, so we got ripped off on that. So that's what I learned uh, on how not to spend money on something you didn't really need. That's the lesson uh, you learned. I was about to say, did y'all even use it on that album? Did y'all even use it in Clavier? We used it on the whole album. That's yeah. why it sounds so clean. Mm. Like, whatever yeah. you want. Like, it's like so, it sounds like crisp. We just we just interviewed uh, Pat Metheny, who also, like, you know, he's the... Think <laughs> Clavier King? Yes, exactly. So he was explaining, like, the early stages of that was, like, very expensive to, to operate. Yeah. Hey, yeah, always, when we looked at the we looked at the budget, and I was like, "Okay, we'll never do that." Hey, also, I know that um, you guys work with Keith Crouch on that album as well. Keith, Keith yeah, Keith played. Um, Keith played. This is a funny story. Keith, Keith played. Um, he played. He played bass synthesizer on maybe one of the songs. He toured with us. Right. He didn't really. He played on those were the days. I think. Okay. Um, but. So and so, me and Keith got into a little altercation over this girl. Like when he was younger, it was funny. So right after he played on, so when I did Tony's in the wrong key, I introduced everybody who played with us. And he heard it. His name used to be on it, but when it got to his name, I said, and, and if, 
we had this one member and his name is and his name is and his name is. And so, and like, you know, and so, Petty. Petty Pepperton. So, so we really cool. We really cool. He, he told me a long time ago, he said, bro, I was in a room with all my friends. <laughs> and he said, I was listening to the record and he said, by the name of. <laughs> okay. Yeah, I, I was petty those days. I was very petty. Oh, man. Oh, I can't believe that shit. So you That's got crazy. the game? Say it again. Did you get to PS5? I just wait, opened it in a second. Is that it's in my office. Sent you, so wait, Raphael, you sent him a PlayStation? Is that what's going on around here? No, you don't want to answer that question, Raphael. You want to finish the interview <laughs> and go in like, yeah. Anyway. Oh, okay. <laughs> You're a gamer? Uh, I am now. Yes. I, I was an ex-gamer, thought I got out the game, and then when I got this, uh, my uh, my entire staff was like, yo, man, your life is about to change. I'm afraid Did you that, open it? Is yes. it in the box? It's blacked out. Yes, it is. Can we see it? He want, Can we see it? Yeah, it's blacked out. It's, uh, my game company is called Ilphonic, and I've never really We're not questioned on me on yes, Instagram. So he was like, what is this? So I, I, I sent him a, a game to say, you know, so we got a game called Arcade Get, and it's a, me and my engineer, we started a game company called Ilphonic, and I'm a, Nas is one of my favorite MCs, so I called it Ilphonic after Illmatic. Right. And, um... Yeah, so we, it's a guy oh, named Steve Wedding. Raphael, like the gaming world. A game, 13 years of, of uh, so my partner, Chuck Brungard, uh, we started a game, we started this game coming together because we, we, we were finding it hard in the music industry to like, even we make records, like record industry people wouldn't even let us mix our own records for other people that we produce. Mm-hmm. And so I came up with another game, comp- a game that we used to laugh about called Ghetto Golf because they wouldn't let me in the fighting game on uh, Russell Simmons' label. I knew I could never be on the game. It was an RB. It was a rap game. So right. Um, oh, we started this company. Yeah, I need to yeah. Right. We started this company back then and we split up to start the game. He moved to Denver. We started at my studio. And then, like after 13 years, we did Predator, Friday the 13th, and um doing really well. And then this is the first year I I started I said something about it because really in the gaming world, people don't really care about you being a musician. They just right. want to have and you know, video games is about gameplay. And um, one of our guys, uh, Steve Wetman, is the visual guy who get all the styles of music, which is, uh, you know, like the music is kind of based on like if it was a futuristic Dilla or 50 Years From Now or like Jungle, Funk. And it's a lot of different people who, um, a lot of different musicians who did. I didn't do any music in the game. Usually when I talk about the video game, people go, oh, you put music in the game? I'm like, uh, no, no. I, I own a game mean? company so for the last 13 years. you're a real that wanted to bring your Yeah, I just want to invest in it. I invested in it, and it's doing really well. And, and Quest is the first person that I actually sent a, uh, a personalized, blacked-out, Ilphonic. Souped up, yes. Everyone and said it's a multiplayer, you got the souped-up multiplayer So it says Ilphonic on there, huh? Yeah, it's a multiplayer game. Um, yes. uh, you could play... You could play it. You could play it in a configuration of one on one. You could do the way, but it's a cooperative multiplayer game. If you know anything about games, and um, yeah. we just really uh, no, give I just want to get that, into man. this world because I just felt I found it kind of hard being in the music industry. Industry's so clicky. Yeah, right. you know what I mean. Talk about and like it. I said, I haven't had a go to person since Ed Eckstein. So I said, you know what? The way the way the music industry is now with streaming, you know, my music is not a game. 
And in games, they stream. So I figured I should get into something where streaming was going to be very popular. Games. So how many games you got in game? Like, you can go, how many games you got out? Uh, Friday the 13th, the last one in Predator. And we're working on Ghostbusters right now. And Arcade Getting is out right now. It's in, it's on, it's in Epic Store for, in 2022. It's going to be a lot more platforms than... Um, a lot more platforms than just PS5, but right now it's the Epic Store on PS5. I was gonna ask what game what games do you play? Like what's some of your games that you just play? Uh, you know, to be a gamer, I could play Call of Duty a little bit, a lot, but I'm really I'm really like a sports junkie. Like I'm a state man okay. and 2K. 2K. And stuff black people like to play. You know? <laughs> <I'm sorry>. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Now my nice. son, my son, they be on 2K. He, he's got a new one. He's been killing it. What's he play? Uh, what's he play? What's your son play? He plays 2K. He's on. He's on 2K. I mean, he was, you know, like all the kids. He was on Fortnite, you know, heavy when that was that was popping. But he's more of a 2K uh, guy. I'm more of a. I do first. I can do first person shooter, but I'm more so like you know, Resident Evil, survival horror. I like. I'm in the story type shit. You know what I'm saying? Okay. Yeah. So, yeah. That's what this is. Just check it out. No, how y'all find? Yeah, your I time? definitely will, man. Now, I got a PS5 too. I got a PS5, so I. Yeah. But I want to say to Quest, man, congratulations on. On the documentary, I must have watched it like seven times on my couch. It's I hope like, he don't think he's about to leave Amir. He think he, he, he's shutting down like he think he's about to close. No, 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 no. I'm not shutting down. I just, I just want to make sure that I, I said that because when that comes up in my queue, like I get chills Yeah. watching The Fifth Dimensions. I've Thank never you. seen them move. So to watch <laughs> it come to life yeah. and to know that that happened and right. to know like, I mean... Thank you, man. People that didn't even know they were black. I mean, there's so much. Quest is always passing out history. Like, wait, wait, really well, good. I'm definitely using it for my next project because oh, yeah, I'm doing Sly. Sly. Yeah. Oh, wow. Yes. Oh, you know what? Uh, she told me. His daughter told me. Yep. I'm doing Sly. So. Yeah, that's amazing. I, um, I shall be calling you. All right, y'all. You know what season it is. Tis the season for spring breaking and planning our summer travel. And if you're like me, you're already in your Airbnb app trying to find which spot is right for you. Now, listen, while I'm looking to spend all this money, what I'm not doing is thinking about making money with Airbnb. See, you got to change your mind state. Make the money while you're spending the money. How, you say, Laia, do I make the money? Well, you host at your house. And I know what you're thinking. I mean, my whole house? Uh, well, no, you don't have to do your whole house. I mean, you could do a room or, you know, do the whole house. So make some money while you're spending some money this summer. I'm trying to tell you, your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at Airbnb.com slash host. My name is Johnny B. Good, and I'm the host of the new podcast, Creating a Con, the story of BitCon. Over this nine-part series, I'll explore the life and crimes of my best friend, Ray Trapani. I always wanted to be a criminal. If someone's like, oh, what's your best way of making money? I'm like, oh, we should start some sort of scheme. You see, Ray has this unique ability to find loopholes and exploit them. They collected $30 million. There were headlines about it. His company, Centratech, was one of the hottest crypto startups in 2017. It was going to change the world, until it didn't into my office, opened my email, and the subject heading was FBI request. It was only a matter of time before the truth came out. You can only fake it till you make it for so long before they find out that your Harvard degree is not so crimson. How could you 
sit there and do something that you know will objectively cause more harm in the world. Listen to Creating a Con, the story of Bitcoin, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Imagine you ask two people the same exact set of seven questions. I'm Minnie Driver. And this was the idea I set out to explore in my podcast, Mini Questions. This year, we bring a whole new group of guests to answer the same seven questions, including actress and star of the mega hit sitcom Friends, Courtney Cox. You can't go around it, so you just go through it. This is a roadblock. It's going to catch you down the road. Go through it. Deal with it. Comedian, writer, and star of the series Catastrophe, Rob Delaney. I shouldn't feel guilty about my son's death. He died of a brain tumor. It's part of what happens when your kid dies. Intellectually, you'll understand that it's not your fault, but you'll still feel guilty. Alt-rock icon, Liz Fair. That personal disaster wrote Guyville. So everything comes out of a dead end. And many, many more. Join me on season three of Mini Questions on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Seven questions, limitless answers. What was, how, not how or why, what was the process, how was Lisa Bonet the, the, the deciding factor in directing uh, the California video? Mm. For, for It Never Rain, a lot of people turned in treatments. Hers, she just had the best, she had the best treatment, honestly, and we were always trying to, we were always trying to be different at the same time we didn't want to. We didn't want to out our, our the audience that we gained, right? But we felt like we could gain a new audience and we could, you know, we felt like Lisa just, she had the edge. She had the edge on the, True. all the interior decorating that, that I like. Mm-hmm. Um, she kind of gave me the apartment that I've never had at that time. Right. You know? Um, <laughs> so just at that time, I didn't know that she was heavily direct, like into directing videos or whatever. So she had like a rep that said like, I'm open for know. directing videos. And- yeah, I guess she did. I don't think she did it too much. I was about too to say, many was there times. I think she video? just. She was I think she do- just liked the record and she just offered a treatment, and we just chose okay. her to uh, to direct. Did I think get- Prince was about to hire for uh, one of the songs on Diamonds and Pearls. I think like Walk Don't Walk. Um, okay. Whether they shot it, I'm not certain, but I believe that she was. I don't think they shot it. Uh, you know, I mean, Prince is the kind of guy that will do a movie and then put it away for like 42 seconds. But, you know. Yeah. Oh, my boy wanted me to ask you, how did you talk Don Cornelius into the the house party video? Which I think Don does a cameo. Don Cornelius has a cameo in the I don't know what you come to do uh House I don't party. know. I don't think uh, Don Cornelius didn't like me too much. I don't know. Wait, what? What you do? Oh. What you do to Don? I love. We love Don. I love Don. I mean, I used to. I used to watch. I watched. So I. I think I found out is is that it wasn't that he didn't like me. I remember doing Soul Train one time, and I just remember all these girls. Like I call it halftime when everybody's taking a break, and you know, yeah. first time doing Soul Train, you're like, oh, this is Soul Train. But then when I saw all the girls like feed hurting and eating Kentucky Fried Chicken at halftime, <laughs> I was like, "This shit is kind of cheesy a little bit, right?" They like that's they feed them KFC, yeah. And then um, <laughs> it was bad. <laughs> no, and so but then we was on there with New Edition, and a New Edition like they took, they did one take, they looked at the monitor, they came back, they did it over, 
They did over about four or five times until they liked it. And Lil, rest in peace, Lil Silas was at MCA Records at the time. Mm-hmm. And so when we got up there to do our performance, man, we performed once, and they were like, got it! Right. And I'm like, we don't get to look at the monitor? Yeah. Let's see if we like... But I, what I realized is that, you know, our label probably wasn't spending spending the sponsor money. Oh, right. nice way to phrase that. You know, so we were pretty much a one and done. And when I found that out, I just, I was kind of just a little disheartening with, you know, the way that I was learning on the fly how the industry was. So, right. so when I did get involved, I was done with Soul Train. So when I did get involved. Um, when they needed you. Yeah, they 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 wanted me to do to perform on Soul Train, and I was like, "Man, I'm I'm not doing Soul Train." So, so and that's they Moore, Soul me, they, Train. they begged me to do it, so I was like, I stood outside the Paramount until it was time for me to walk on stage. I didn't want to be in the dressing room. I stood outside. <laughs> I walked in and I performed, and I walked out. And then um years later, I was at the street called Wainaka. It's a it's a little golf, a little driving range. Right. And I went to this little driving range just to hang out, hit some balls. And Don Cornelius was there, just hitting balls. And he just walked up to me, and we had an amazing conversation. Mm. Really? He was just giving me props and said, I'm watching you. I see what you're doing. And he he he, he didn't he, he did like me. Yeah, but I, I, I was young, and I was confused about the politics. You know what I mean? Yeah. Nobody, well, nobody was spending returns. no bread with him at my label, you know? Yeah. Right. That and black. And it's good ministry returns. You have dreams of like being on this legacy show, and then you get to see how the sausage is made, and it's not like how you think it is. And that is disappointing. Yeah, you know, you could like you know, like you mean to actually throw these sausages on the ground and kick them around, and then put them in the bun. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Yeah. Okay. I I got to jump to Sons of Soul. So the first time that I had, I didn't have an interaction with you. This is weird enough. We had an audition uh, with Ed Eckstein, and we were going to sign to Polygram. Uh, and I went to, I went to some dinner uptown. I forget where it was. You were also at this restaurant, and I can overhear your conversation. And you were talking about this tour. And you were telling the craziest stories I've ever heard in my life. Like, I would have think that you were talking about, like, like Hammer the Gods era Led Zeppelin. And you weren't talking about, you were talking about touring with Janet Jackson. Mm. Now, without you burning bridges <laughs> from one to ten, and I'm not talking about the Tony, Tony, Tony side of things. From one to ten, how crazy was that Janet Jackson tour? Because uh, that, from one to ten, it was a ten. That planted a lot of seeds in my head on like those things can happen on the road. Yeah, it was just you know what it's like. Uh, you know, we, of course we were like huge. I'm a huge Michael. Ja- I'm a Jackson Five fan. Right. You know, so I grew up with the brothers, mm-hmm. the first black family or so. Main, you know, right. I love Randy, love the Jackson, so. Just to get on the tour and you and learning tour, you just learn tour politics, right? And the tour politics were, I took two guys that were just out of high school, really had nowhere to live. They were dancers. I took them on the tour. I met them in Sacramento. I just moved to San Francisco with this whole hip hop world and uh, 
Sacramento that I found, and I used to play with him, freestyle, you know, I used to play bass. What's this thing called? 60 Seconds Direct. MCs come up, it was bass player and a drummer. And so I would meet all these MCs, and it was a couple of dancers who lived in my neighborhood. So I took them on the tour, and Janet people said it was a, it was conflicting with their show, with these two dancers that we had. Now, mm-hmm. I think they, Janet had like 35, whatever, if you look at Pleasure Principle or whatever those, mm-hmm. those videos when she has the whole Rhythm Nation. Well, this, so they is, told the us, Janet, this is the third album. Yeah, so they told us we had to like get rid of the dancers. What? Right. Her at the time her husband was his name was Renee. Yeah, we know. Yeah, Renee was on. He kinda walked in and said, you know, Janet thinks it's in conflict with her. And I was like, Man, look, we got two dancers. If that's I'm leaving. I'm like, I'm like, I'm not telling them kids they gotta go home. These two kids are like nineteen years old, twenty Right. With no money, you know what I mean. We we only they only had two sets of two suits to tour with. Right. I mean, and we had no lights on the stage and nothing. I mean, you couldn't even see us on that tour. I should tell people on the radio if you want to see us, bring a flashlight. Uh, <laughs> so many lessons. And then, and then we never really met Janet, and she invited us on the tour. So I remember I came I came to the show once, and my whole band and the road crew was in this big line. And they by her room, and they were all walking to her room. She was at the front door shaking their hand, and I just was walking by, and I'm like, I'm not standing in the line to shake her hand. Right. Like when you go on tour, you're supposed to like introduce, come say hi to the group, right. and say, hey, you invited us. So that was kind of that for me. And I think I was on a radio station, and I said, you know, I'm from Oakland, so I'm, they asked me how was it, you know, being, you know, meeting Jan. I was like, at this point, it was we've been on tour a long time. I said, I've never met her. But I think, you know, she probably the same girl from the good times, Penny. Right. You know? <laughs> yeah. So, you know, I, I had jokes. Yeah. But, you know, we, we love Janet and we, I, yeah. I, you know, I love Jimmy and Terry and it, it, it was, you know, we, but we don't, it was the tour support. We're only making like $3,000 a night. So right. we had to pay for our tour bus. And then like, what happened was Michael started, that Michael thing started to happen. So some shows we would get to and it would be, Tours will be canceled, and instead of somebody calling us and saying the show is canceled, we will find out like the fans. So we what? still have to pay the crew, the buses, and it happened like three or four times. I think so she was yeah. kind of helping Michael move right. around, which we understand that, mm-hmm. but right. we we didn't know, so she couldn't tell us, right? right? right. So, but I said if it happens oh, again, yeah. I'm going yeah. home. So I left in Philly the night it got canceled in Philly. Yes, well. That was my last night. I went to the. T- I took. I told the bus to take me to the airport, and then they hired me in condition. Yeah, oh. a nice parallel move, though. Okay. That is so okay. They did a makeup show. I was going to ask you. They did a makeup show, and you guys weren't the opener, and I was so disappointed and wanted to know what happened. Yeah, that's what happened. Ah. So needless to say, you are the best person to tour with because you know what the worst is like. You know what the worst is like is I I treat people people tour with us. I mean, I treat people like kings because the first tour that Tony's ever did was really uh, with, with the Red Rocks. We opened up for Earth, Wind, and Fire when Maurice White was in the group, mm-hmm. right? And um, 
they wanted a band that was more of like a track day band because since we had the setup, we couldn't do as many shows with, with Earth, Wind & Fire. But when we did play with them, Maurice White brought us to the back of the room and said, hey, I love you guys. Whatever you need, you can have. Ask for it. You got it. However much time you need, you got it. And that's how we treated people. And we, uh, I think Joe opened up for us and my, and my tour manager was, get off the stage, blah, blah. <laughs> I walked in and saw that. I walked right in the middle of him and said, Joe, take as much time as you want. We'll be in the dress room. When you're done, you come tell us. Wow. And so, yeah, so, I mean, we used to tour with Bobby Brown. Bobby Brown used to just unplug our instruments. Well, What? <laughs> what? We, 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 I love Bobby to this day. I see oh, yeah. Bobby. We like this. But Bobby used to come and be just like, and just take the big socket and just unplug it. And we up there just, it'd be like, that, 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 damn. But now. that was like how tour was. Tour was like, R&B was kind of gangster back in the day. Wow. That's what I it sounded like. Okay. I, I will say for me, Sons of Soul like every person, the, every musician has like that one album, that's like their their saving grace, their zen mm-hmm. sort of mm-hmm. of thing. And you know, it, this is during the time in which like we were searching for a deal. I mean, we were traveling like the Flint, Flintstones inside mm-hmm. of a beat up two hundred dollars station wagon with no floorboard in the back. Like we have to elevate our feet in the air to not hit the ground. Like traveling like the middle passage and like you know just that whole period of like will we get a deal will we not get a deal and living in poverty and all and like just listening to that record like man one day i'm gonna play music like this in front of audiences and like i don't know like sons of soul wound up being that record for me yeah for a lot Um, of people for a lot of people yeah that was the one for me too yeah yeah and i know that And I know that your your relationship with um with Shahid really solidified with that record. Assuming that he assisted on drums on like Tony's and yeah. the Long Key and all that stuff. I mean, you, the drums are definitely boombastic and loud like that. Just in, during that time period, how are you guys uh, connecting as a group? Like, how are decisions made? How are you know, is it every man for, like gets an equal vote or that sort of thing, or is it like you starting to see the the kind of uh, seam starting to break? Well, I don't think th- I think we were just I think we were like so happy to to be on. I think my brother Dwayne is more of the person who was in search of a deal more than any of us. He was a couple of years older, um, mm-hmm. but once we got in, you know, Dwayne was his party time, and I was more in a state of mind like we could fall off. This is not promised to us. And um, mm-hmm. I was just looking at things that I liked. I think I, I, I became pretty much the the person that was steering the boat, but I had a wall of people behind me that was very talented. I always felt like if you know, you're the best person in the room, then you're in the wrong room. And um, I had a lot of great musicians around me that could you know do the things that I needed to do to make the records that I wanted to make. Now, did I know that people was going to like those records? Mm-hmm. No, I I didn't have a clue about record sales or number one. I never cared about Billboard. I never looked at Billboard for a number one record. I was really trying to impress the people before me. I just really wanted 
you know, you know, hip hop, hip hop uh, artists. Uh, you know, I, I was really big on making hip hop people like my records. Mm. Nah, because you know, all the records I hear is like we don't like R and B. We don't. I was like, oh, you gonna like this R and B? I, I had a chip on my shoulder about that. Dude, and, um, yeah, that's fun exactly. was my joint on that record. It was just the breakbeat fun. That, that was my one. Yeah, I used yes. to yeah. <laughs> I was gonna say that. Yeah, like I was definitely anti R and B in '92. Like I just thought it was like watered down and corny. I understood and, why. And yeah. I heard it, and it, you know, first I was like front, like oh, Tony, Tony gonna got a record, like uh, whatever. Right. And I heard it, and I was like, wait a minute, like there's breakbeats and things that I like. Like if a tribe called Quest made music, this is what it would be. And oh yeah, and that's 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 deep because and we for all, me, yeah, yeah, it's like it's like the beginning seeds of of the and that's, that's the thing. I, I want to ask you: Were you were you aware? what the state of emergency was for the black band. Because technically, mm. Tony, Tony, Tony is probably either the last pure soul group. You know, and it's where you mentioned Chambers Brothers because I was trying to find a band that was self-contained, not led by someone, not Sly and the Family Stone, not Mint. James Brown the Family Mint Stone. Mint Condition. Booker I mean. But, uh, okay, Mint. What? Uh, but they came after yeah. Okay, so the the last batch between Men Condition and and Tony Tony Tony, like you guys are are the last. It's 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 endangered species. <laughs> were you were you guys even aware that there was like you guys were about to be a novelty? I mean, ten years later, even the idea of groups being together would be a a, a like a, a a thing, like to to even collaborate with people in a unit were you, were you even aware at the time that time was running out for the black band um i don't think we were aware of it i think we we just we were so blinded by what happened before us and um we were so stuck in the past and living in the future at the same time because we loved hip-hop we loved what was going on but we always thought we were a part of i always thought I could be a part of it. Like when I got to New York and I saw Rakim walking mm -hmm. down the street, or I was sitting in a, a limo or something getting ready to do an in-store, mm -hmm. I see Eric being Rakim with a crew with Dapper Dan sweatsuits on. And bro, I was just sitting there like, what? So as soon as I got to New York, man, I was I broke free to every studio and found everything I wanted to find. Um, as far as, you know, tribe and um, Bob Powers and different people, different outboard gear for studios, different, you know, Neves and, and you different. Weren't, you weren't, were you saying like, was the rest of your band sort of on line with you? Like, yo, we need to, we need to sound no. progressive like these people. You know no, that. it was just me. Yeah. <laughs> they, they'll, they'll tell you that too, but everybody played a good part. Like Tim was, Timothy Riley, Christian Riley is like a, like Sly on the organ on the B3. Right. He's a drummer, but he's a great organ player. So where he was at, he wanted to be there. You know, um, where Dwayne was at, he Dwayne was like a guy who played football his whole life and was in shape. And then when football was over, he's like, I'm not working out no more. Right. <laughs> so once we got on, Dwayne was like, we on. You know, that's it. And I was like, man, I don't know if we on really. Mm -hmm. I've, I've seen too many groups. I've, when I go to record stores, 
and I'm going through vinyl and all these groups that I seen that we don't know about, we never heard of. I wasn't they really trying they was to on be too, at some point. They thought they were on <laughs> too. So I was more, I was more like, I knew it was a, a, we were, it was a novelty, but just because of the tours that we had to go on, there was no space. I remember Salt right. and Pepper wanted us to, we toured with MC Hammer, Candyman, Ice, Candyman, uh, Candy well, NWA. Wow. And I remember mm. Salt and Pepper was like, kick the Tonys off the tour. They got a band. It's too, the set change is too long. You know what I mean? Mm. They wasn't like being nasty towards us, but the set change had to be, they, they didn't like that set change. Mm-hmm, and right. only person, the only reason why we stayed on that tour is because Hammer, Hammer kept us on the tour. Oakland. Oakland. Yeah. All right, y'all. You know what season it is. Tis the season for spring breaking and planning our summer travel. And if you're like me, you're already in your Airbnb app trying to find which spot is right for you. Now, listen, while I'm looking to spend all this money, what I'm not doing is thinking about making money with Airbnb. See, you got to change your mind state. Make the money while you're spending the money. How, you say, Laia, do I make the money? Well, you host at your house. And I know what you're thinking. I mean, my whole house? Uh, Well, no, you don't have to do your whole house. I mean, you could do a room or, you know, do the whole house. So make some money while you're spending some money this summer. I'm trying to tell you, your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at Airbnb.com slash host. My name is Johnny B. Good, and I'm the host of the new podcast, Creating a Con, the story of Bitcoin. Over this nine-part series, I'll explore the life and crimes of my best friend, Ray Trapani. I always wanted to be a criminal. If someone's like, oh, what's your best way of making money? I'm like, oh, we should start some sort of scheme. You see, Ray has this unique ability to find loopholes and exploit them. They collected $30 million. There were headlines about it. His company, Centratech, was one of the hottest crypto startups in 2017. It was going to change the world, until it didn't. I came into my office, opened my email, and the subject heading was FBI request. It was only a matter of time before the truth came out. You can only fake it till you make it for so long before they find out that your Harvard degree is not so crimson. How could you sit there and do something that you know will objectively cause more harm in the world. Listen to Creating a Con, the story of Bitcoin, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hello. From Wonder Media Network, I'm Jenny Kaplan, host of Womanica, a daily podcast that introduces you to the fascinating lives of women history has forgotten. This month, we're bringing you the stories of disappearing acts. There's the 17th century fraudster who convinced men she was a German princess. The 1950s folk singer who literally drove off into the sunset and was never heard from again. The First Nations activist whose kidnapping and murder ignited decades of discourse about indigenous women's disappearances. And the young daughter of a Russian czar whose legendary escape led to even more intrigue and speculation. These stories make us consider what it means to disappear and why a woman might even want to make herself scarce. Listen to Amanica on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Can I ask y'all a question since this is a rare moment, especially with um, you, Amir, and Raphael on the line? Because I'm translating and I always thought in my mind, and now that you've clarified that you were such a hip hop head and you had to be, you had to be there. 
this is the pivotal start, Amir, right, of what we would call, I mean, Neo Soul. Soul. I just want to say it out loud. Because Nobody in my wants mind, to Raphael the title, has but... always been the father of that. And I hate the term... I hate the term Neo Soul. Everybody hates it. Like, but y'all gotta give on, us another. What, give me the. Give me the. Y'all, everybody hate it, but what's the replacement? Let me, let me tell you why. Let me, the title, let me, but it's like it's the shortest way to describe. Yeah, yeah. You guys definitely started something new. Okay, so new let me. Though. Let me. I, I'm, I'm gonna kill it. I've grown past it. I'm not like I used to be about the word. Okay. But let me tell you why I say <laughs> it. Why I was saying it back then. I did this album called Ray Ray. And on the back, I had yes, a tombstone that says Neo Soul, rest in peace. Right, so I, I was all about that. So my thing was, Neil, like like hip hop was a fresh, great brand, a great idea. Mm-hmm. Neil Soul was more of a a budget that Kedar Massenburg kind of came up with for Erica Badu and uh, everybody. I never thought about it. Like and that. it was like a way to go yeah. to a marketing meeting and say, this group is not the Temptations are the sliding them. It's like. New so it's neo. So when you go to a meeting, instead of explaining they're not gonna sell a million, they <laughs> might do anywhere from two to three. You just say for short, neo so. It had nothing to do about the feeling of the music like hip hop. But right. that was but you my do only know, thing. But you do know to the fans, it actually. So it might have started that way, but then it kind of matriculated to fans to something else to just something that they could say that's what it is. So. Can I ask it's you? It's an identifier, right? So for yeah, right, you, right. what would you have? What mm-hmm. would you have called it? Because you is your shit. So what would you have called it? I mean, call it good music. I call it good music. It was a movement, though. A I movement. I mean, so when movement. I did when I did when I did instant vintage, I was you know I was striking a different thing, a couple things that didn't really stick, but I was trying, and right. um, I came up with gospelic for me. For my own sound, gospel delic, man. It's gospel delic, is mean there's some truth to it, and there's the funk and the psychedelic in what I do. So okay. I call my music gospel delic. There's some yeah. truth, there's some funk, psychedelic. That's what I called it. Anything but that. But you should have like said, I that said shit I 20 years ago, we would have been calling it gospel delic. <laughs> yeah, but, no, I, but honestly, look, look, I understand any group that was under it, I understand because it was a budget and everybody was getting on it, it was a deal, it was money behind it. So there's nothing really wrong with it. It just to me, it's a whack ass name. It was a whack name, but it was a beautiful movement. (laughs) It's a whack name, though. I mean, great groups came out of it, but none of those artists. I feel like it gave it gave everybody a clock. But in hip hop, right? It's it's forever. No, it's not. Backpacker hip hop. Sonny Sue. It's forever. Okay. It's forever. I, I mean, here's the thing. Like, the reason why I don't. It's so weird, especially with Neo Soul. It's just that everyone in that category was hell-bent on making sure that you knew they're not in that category. Right. And then right. it just became funny to me because the thing is... See, like, I didn't at, know that. I thought I was the only no, one. No, nobody wants to no, say the word. No, people... Nobody under, quote, our umbrella wants to claim it. I mean, yes, I think Kedar... Uh, uh, what do you call it? Uh, copywriting the word... Like it ended, and I told him this. I was like, "You ended the genre when you made it public that you copy wrote the word." Like who, who's going to, like you just ended your own movement. But the thing is, is like as a guy who shops at Amoeba or Rasputin's or Jerry's Records, you know, I want to know where's the quickest. What, like find, like it's an identifier for me, so I know exactly what section to go to so I can yeah. buy the record I want to and not have to scrounge through. 300,000 records. But, uh-huh. I mean, I, I digress. Like, 
I definitely feel as though you guys were a part of something. And, you know, this is not only for this genre. I remember when Luther and Anita were scoffing at Nelson George's description where he called it retro nouveau. So, oh, I didn't know. Okay. And, you know, people, it's, it's just hard to categorize something or give an opinion on something until like 20 years has passed. But, you know, especially now that 30 years has passed since that movement, it's it's uh, I, and I'm just lazier. Thirty years, what? Okay. Well, yeah, you know, I, I, I kind of like to say too, like if you listen Sons to all came music, out right? thirty years ago, so yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. I mean, when you right look at music, here. like I, I look at all music like this. If it's early country music, I like blues. Early muddy waters, and you can go, you can go back before people was making records to be for Hop Sunny Hopkins before. You can go back to when they was making records in the field in the country all the way till now to black music is one music to me. Mm. You have to categorize it to make money to put it in categorize it to yeah. cat- categories to differentiate to make money. But really, it's all one. It's, it's all one music. It's because black people are so creative. But it's all our music. We, we, so. we in, in yeah. basketball, we got a crossover. We we do mm. all these different things so good. So that's when you listen right. to music like trap. Now trap is trap. Now you got drill. Yeah. Right? It, it's There's just, drill? it's just, I feel like we're just, it's all one thing. Like when hip hop came out, <laughs> I always wanted to see hip hop get old. I always wanted to see the last, like the tribe, the generation before that. I wanted to know how they were going to react as older men because I got a chance to see the, uh, the Temptations and the right. Shalimars and, and the whispers get old. React. And how do they? Right. I always wanted to see how the coolest cats in the world, hip hop was the coolest. We don't like going to be. I want to see what they're going to be like as older men. And it's so funny to watch <sighs> when you see like hip hop cats like talking about trap artists. <clears throat> right. That would have been the way they the talk, whispers would have right. been talking about, about them. somebody right. rapping. Like, what the hell are they talking about? I don't know. They blah, blah, blah. Now but, you hear artists, hip hop artists saying that about trap artists. And it's just because now our the generation is at PTA meetings. Right. Yeah. <laughs> right. yeah. And, and, exactly. I, and let me just say this too, as a former black radio person, you should know that <clears throat> Neo Soul to a lot of people was rebellious music and especially to black radio people because this was music that we weren't necessarily allowed to play. Literally, Raphael, I plan to tell you the story about how I got fired for interviewing you live on the radio. And I think that a lot of times... Hmm. Y'all, That's right. yes, y'all don't know. You did that. get fired for interviewing Raphael Sadiq. I owe you some money. Huh? That, that, <laughs> oh, no that's, money. Why, that's it, what brought her here. It was my pleasure. <laughs> it, it was my pleasure. But understand that, like, people fought, people like myself, Tiffany Bacon, and, and like DJs around the country, that wasn't, it was Carl it was Thomas. It was, uh, we was fighting for this shit. When they, when they said to me, yo, I'm real quick, Raphael, they said to me, Raphael Sadiq is doing our music conference and uh, we want you to interview him and tape it. And we're going to play it back after we start playing his record, right? But this was during a time when you put out the record that was kind of stacks inspired, right? And I'm on the hip hop stage. Uh, the right? way yes. I see it. The way I see it. Okay. Right. So I'm like. What, what city was this? This is Philadelphia. So, I know you remember because I was drilling you about Josh yes. Stone and stuff. We had a good time. So, 
So what's funny is when they said that they was going to play this shit back, I was like, that's a lie because y'all not going to never play no songs from this record because they don't fit mm-hmm. our format. Right. So when you walked into the studio live, I was like, this is fucking Raphael Sadiq, the father of this fucking shit that is the hype. This is the reason that Philadelphia is doing what it's doing right now. How would I be like to sit here and lie and do a fake interview with this person? So we went up live <laughs> and a week later, oh, they wow. was like. You disobeyed what I did, which we told you to do, and you got to, that was part of the story. So, so another funny story about that record when I, I I went to this radio station in South Carolina, and so the radio guy at the time he was the regional guy was in Atlanta, so he took me in this radio station. So my whole radio promo was a fake out. Yeah, with Columbia, mm. it was all fake. Out. I believe it, what? but but they had to take me because of the respect for the records that I was producing. They didn't just want to let me go. So they took me on this fake radio run that I was doing interviews, but nobody was at the label cared about the records. So they did tell me, well, some of the guys at Columbia told me, just get this record away because streaming was about to happen. And they didn't, they were spending money on records and records weren't selling. Right. So they were confused because like Bruce Springsteen wasn't selling. None mm. of the records were selling because it was streaming, right? So I get in the car with this guy and he says, he said, man, your record is actually where they spinning that. What the numbers were like was was high on the record. So he said he said he said because he said well they told me he said between me and you Columbia told me just to take this record out and tell them it's, it's, it's experimental record and just play it real late at night. Mm. So like, but the record kind of caught fire. Like love that girl because mm-hmm. people was like listening yeah. to it. And so what happened was Europe ended up calling France actually. France called and Paris called and they, and they called uh, Stringer over in Columbia and they said, I don't know about in the States, but this is a real record over here. And so that's when I started playing in, in front of like 15,000 people by myself in Europe, different venues. But yeah, the whole record was like a, a fake out. Yeah. They even had them. you come to the conference. But it ended up being like, one of my bullshit. biggest records. Yeah. That's crazy. That's dope. I'm yeah, glad so it worked That's out. funny. I, I remember that. Wait. Uh, all right, things are coming back to me now that I know I, I'll never get to ask you again. Mm. I, I got to go back to Sons of Soul for this one question. Sure. All right. all right, so you worked with a guy who I had hope for to be the future, and it's not who you think I'm talking about. You work with director Sanji, and this mm-hmm. is hot off his Pass Me By Success, I ne- like black videos. We never seen somebody with like Spike Jones's aesthetic for black videos, but dog, the pillow video. Lady. How did homie talk to y'all into doing that video naked? Well, that wasn't Sanji. <laughs> that wasn't Sanji. That wasn't Sanji. Sanji would have never did, did that. If I had no loot and leaving, I thought he did he, all three of your videos. Okay, he wouldn't have never done that. That yeah, was who? Who did that? I don't know. And those the people that are standing up, those are those are not us. That's not us. <laughs> On the doubles that spin around butt ass naked. That, Have y'all seen that the wasn't video for lay your head on my pillow. Forgot. Yeah. That's why I'm like, I forgot I gotta They are one hundred percent naked. Like this pre porn no, hub. No, trust me, everybody was drinking. So <laughs> my, my my brother my brother's thing was this. This is all Dwayne. He I'm not I'm not throwing him under the bus because he Yes you are, Rafael. Yes, no, no, he stands by it. <laughs> He stands by it. Trust me. My brother has no regrets about nothing he does. I, I love would. it. I love so, it. I love it. <laughs> so you trying to tell me that was a body double in the pillow video. 
Oh, not in the, in the part when the three dudes were standing together and they spin. Yes. And then when you watch them, they spin like really like <laughs> it looked real bad. So, <laughs> and, so but MTV showing the video and they clouded up all the private areas. So that's how like it's it's like watching my them. Brother, so my brother walks in like we like the red hot chili peppers in his mind. So he's like, he like, <laughs> he, it, this could be like a real like, this could be like one of those. Uh, what's the what's the cartoon? Um, what the George Clinton the tour bus? Oh, uh, tales from oh, the tales tour bus. Tour bus. Yeah. This could be like the tales of the tour bus because like you know when they show George Clinton just jump out naked. Right. So my it's like my brother walked in the room and my brother walks in the room and goes, "Hey, guess what, guys." We could be the first band to do a naked video. And I was like, what? <laughs> like, so, so I, this is what I said. I said, well, if Tim, Tim is a square, was square this time, it's nerd, church boy, church, boy. church of God in Christ. Ooh. I said, Tim, I said, if Tim agrees, I'll do it. There's <laughs> no way in hell Tim is agreeing on this, right? We walk in the room and say, what do you think, Tim? Tim goes, Let's do it. Shit. <laughs> That's how that happened. Wow, man. Okay. Man. Yo, I had another uh, Sons of Soul question. The interlude. Don't be bashful. Don't be, don't shy. be shy. I'm only a single. Was that a real homeless Time guy square. or was that? Did y'all make that up? No, no, no. We, 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 our engineer, Jerry Brown, took this recorder out in the middle of uh, Manhattan and gave this guy some money, and he sang that. He brought it back. I was like, "That's it." <laughs> yeah, I rhyme, I rap, but If it's in your heart, won't want you give me a little? Me a little. <laughs> That's Wait, New York for you. Speaking when when you spoke of uh, your engineer helping you develop, was were you talking about Jerry? Jerry Brown. Is he still setting up Christmas lights in the studio? Y'all gotta know, yo, Jerry Brown. Is the first cat, first black cat I've ever heard say, "Yeah, man, you just gotta find your inner joy." And for me, every day is Christmas. And there's no mm. when we did what they do, it was Christmas. And we did what they do in like, we did it in May of 1996. And he had that he had your studio looking like Christmas. And then when he was working with Alicia Keys, same thing. I walked in, saw his Christmas decorations. I was like, oh, Raphael Sadiq must be here because it's Christmas time and Jerry came out. What is what is the deal with Jerry and his obsession with every day is Christmas to him? You know what? I never knew that's what he was doing until you just said it. <laughs> but you because didn't he also it set up your those studio sessions but, are all but you're right, Christmas because, lights. Because the one thing I do remember about Jerry is this. You know, he's still around. You know, he uh, he makes a lot of John Legend. Those, it's fun. He makes the John Legend Christmas, Christmas album. album. Right. Oh, so he's when, still when I living saw that, it. I asked John Legend, I'm like, yo, did Jerry have it? He's like, yes, he did. Yeah. So the funny thing about Jerry, what I remember about Jerry the most is he talks about when Songs in the Kid Life came out. And he went and he stood in line at Tower Records on Sunset in this long line. And he bought that record and he came home at Christmas Eve and he played that record. Right. So he has to think about Christmas. You're right. That is crazy. Wait, is right, that wait. I was asking, is that the same? Is it Ali and Jerry? Is it the same from no. Ali and Jerry? It's not him. No, it's Jerry mixed like the group called Climax. He worked yeah, yeah. with Climax back in the day. 
Um, that Jerry. Used to be at a studio, ABC. He worked at ABC back in the day as an engineer. Oh, okay. Oh, shit. That's where um, he came up at. Fonte, that Jerry is Jerry Knight, who. Jerry Knight, was my bad, yeah. Jack and Jill, uh, radio singer. Wait, is an- speaking is of ABC. The, okay, I was going to. Is that, the, is that the largest hit of Tony, Tony, Tony? I always I can't never no, believe it or not. If I had no looters, if I had no looters, the highest charting record. Yeah. But the the biggest record to me is probably. It depends who you're talking to. Just me and you. Just me and you is not a Tony's no, record though. Man. That's my first solo record. Okay, it's it's built. Okay, I see. Only because yeah. uh, Ed Eckstein wouldn't let me put my name on the record. So what? Really? Yeah. So. Yeah, so I, that record was just done in my. That's that's the record that was done in Sacramento in my mother's house in the room, okay. On a T on a T three, which I yeah. and I put it out. I gave it to John and they to John Singleton and they polygram. I shouldn't say Ed, but they said I couldn't use my um I couldn't use my name. So the second record I did was Ask of You was on Higher Learning. Right. Higher Learning. And they yeah. told me I couldn't use my name again, and I told John Singleton they couldn't use the song, and John called. Polygram and said, "This record is going to say Raphael Sadiq." And, um, so the fir- my first solo record would have been just me and you. Okay. And the funny thing about it is, uh, that's when I first figured out I had this patch called Jocko on the T three. Mm, uh. I was like, mm, I called my godfather uh, James Levi. I used to play for uh, the drummer for with Herbie and head co- uh, the, head um, the Headhunters. And I called him. I was like. Who was that gave me a ride home and, and took his bass out and played for me when I was like 15? He was like, oh, God. that was Jocko. Wow. Wait, what? Wow. Wow. Yeah, Wait, Jocko, what? Jocko played for me and my mom. He So I'm I'm on Belvedere in Oakland. James Levi's my godfather, Paul Jackson, all those guys. Mm. The Whispers used to come and watch us play. And this band I was called, Hick Band. And so I'm at the house one day, and James go, hey, man, give him a ride home and talk to him and open up his head. So we got this 450 SL Convertible, we drive, he stopped by a phone booth, get on the phone, and he take me about 10 miles to my house. He pulls his bass out, he gets on the porch, he plays for me and my mom for like 30 minutes and talks to me and my mom, which my mom don't know, my mom wouldn't know who anybody is in R&B. All right, nobody, so jazz, she don't even know that. So <laughs> when I, and then he leaves, and then I'm, I'm in my house making this record when I made that record years later, and then I, once I make the record, years later, I call. I said, I seen this patch say Jocko. Now I know all about Jocko. I'm like, that. I called James. I said, who was that that gave me a ride home? Without blinking, he goes, who do you think it was? It was Jocko. What story is? Oh, God, man. Yo, how many other random stories do you have like that? Ladies and gentlemen, I know you hate when my voice comes on and tells you you got to come back next week, but you know good and well that we weren't going to give you the whole enchilada this one episode. So make sure you come back next week when uh, Rafael Sadiq talks to, you know, Laia, Sugar Steve, and Fonticolo, I'm Pickville myself, about his solo work, about uh, touring, about songwriting, about movie scoring, about bacon. Yes, bacon. And he uh, drops a really awesome exclusive uh, gem. So next week, Quest Love Supreme. I will see you guys there. Peace. Quest Love Supreme is a production of iHeartRadio. 
For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. The Elevation with Stephen Furtick podcast was created with you in mind. This is a podcast for those feeling discouraged or needing guidance from God. Together in this podcast, we'll dive deep into scripture, uncover the powerful truths that will help you rise above your limitations and embrace your full potential. We're here to equip you with the tools you need to conquer life's challenges. Listen to Elevation with Stephen Furtick every Sunday and Friday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Danielle Moody here, host of the Woke AF Daily podcast. We've been with iHeart for a year, and what a year it has been. As we head deeper into 2024 and yet another life-changing election cycle, Woke AF Daily is here to keep you sane and woke. Make Woke AF Daily your podcast destination for 2024 election news and analysis. Listen to Woke AF Daily Season 5 on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Hannah Storm, and my new podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, chronicles my six decades in professional basketball, from growing up in the sport to becoming one of sports TV's first female broadcasters. Join me as I dig deep into the game's history, unearth some wild stories, and talk to my friends from the world of basketball, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley. It's been a wild ride, and now I get to take you with me. Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storm on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.